Previously.tv Podcast Network. I won't kill you. Oh, okay, okay. That's, that's, that's a good starting point. <laughs> this is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 223 for the week of October 22-2018. I am Optimal Kitchen Flow, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Rogue Vicodin, Sarah D. Bunting. More like Narcant, am I right? <laughs> Oversized chicken shirt, Tara Ariano. <laughs> shirt. And almost a racist cashier, Sarah Baker. On the Roots and Reboot and not in real life. <laughs> Welcome to another Extra Hot Great. Thank you for bearing with us while we took last week off. We are back to talk about the Connors and we have with us a first time guest, Sarah Baker. Hello, Sarah. Hello, thank Hello, you. Hello, other Sarah me. B. Yay! Yes, Sarah B's in the house. <laughs> for the purposes of this podcast to reduce user confusion, Sarah Bunting will be known as Buncey for the whole episode, which is her nickname in the And circle. beyond. Indeed. Um, Sarah Baker, you are an actor of note. If people recognize your voice, it may be because they've heard you on Bob's Burgers, I'm disembodied from the rest of your physical form. Mm-hmm. Um, but where are some of the other places that people may have seen you of late? Um, of late. I am on television sometimes. Um, I, I, I think people usually recognize me from either the campaign, which was a movie several years ago with um, Zach Galifianakis, Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. or from an episode of Louie that I did, even though we can't talk about it anymore because he <laughs> ruined everything. Cough. Um, you were also and, on Go On. Yeah, I was on Go On, too, with Matthew Perry. And you were um, almost on the Roseanne reboot. Let's let's start from there since it was in your in, intro. Is there yes. a story that you can tell about that? Yeah. I mean, it's not – it's just I got an offer – to play a part on Roseanne, you know, that first last season. Um, (laughs) And it was, yeah, it was a racist cashier at a grocery store. And I, I considered it because it was Roseanne. And at the time I was like, well, I never dreamed I would get to be on Roseanne. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm glad I didn't do it. (laughs) Just, just to place that for our users, like, is that, would that be a big stretch for you? Are you pretty racist in real life or? (laughs) No, that's why they called me. They were like, well, you're a racist anyway. You want to come on? And I'm like, I don't know about the cashier part. I was going to say, you don't know how to handle money at all. I know that about you. You're just th- you just drop it in the floor and you're like, eh, and you walk away. Uh, the irony is that the she she has a little – Roseanne actually sticks up for this woman who's her neighbor, who's her Muslim neighbor, who the cashier you know says something really clever about going back to her camel or something like that. Sure. Um, and Roseanne actually sticks up for this woman. But because it was the new Roseanne, she also at the end said, you know, the joke was she's got enough uh, fertilizer in her garage to blow, a, you know, this whole town up or something. Ugh, yeah. Oh. Good times. I was like, mm, I think I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now this brings us to the Connors, which is Roseanne minus Roseanne, uh, like Garfield without Garfield comes <laughs> What if it was that actually? They actually just took old episodes of Roseanne, just rotoscoped her out of the episode. That would be amazing. Be amazing. And so now I think this is a show you could proudly go on. Maybe not to play a racist cashier, but I, I was 
nervous about it and I was pleasantly surprised. After the first episode, I thought, well, that was kind of morose because it revolves around the death of the titular Roseanne. But I thought the second episode, which we got to see um, in a screener, was was much stronger. Sarah Baker, what what were your thoughts on the first two episodes of The Connors? I felt the same way. I was I was nervous, but Laurie Metcalf and John Goodman are so incredible. And I think Sarah Gilbert has really turned out to be um, an interesting actress. And I think when I fought, watched the first episode, I was like, it's kind of weird because her character was so, you know, so teenage and so misanthropic that to have that as sort of the center now seems weird. But the more I watched, sort of the less it bothered me. And she still sort of retains some of that while also being like a nice, normal mom. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought the... You just can't beat John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf. You know, Laurie Metcalf actually made me choke up in the first episode. And Same. Yeah. And um, and also both of them <laughs> made me laugh. John Goodman's line about, like, seeing a lot of action in Nam to that <laughs> one, like, smart mouth kid actually made me <laughs> laugh out loud. Um, and then the second episode, yeah, I agree. It's like, okay – you can see how we're stepping away from the Roseanne stuff and uh, how the show is sort of taking its own shape. And there's also, I think they're just handling all their people really well. Like DJ is there, but we don't have to see a ton of DJ <laughs> little, little yeah. splashes. And I think his wife is actually really good. That actress is really good and funny and knows who her character is strongly. Um, so I, I liked it. I think I'll keep watching. I mean, I, I wasn't like, you know, it's still a multicam format, which is not so much my jam, but, but I think I'll, I think I'll keep watching. Now, when we, after we watched the first, the first two, I turned to Dave and said, I wish that they had started with the second one. Cause I felt like the first was very heavy, but Dave, you disagreed. Yeah, I thought the first one actually did an okay job of, I mean, they had to address it, right? I don't think they could have just yeah. started, you know, it would be like Connors 2025, you know, they just I mean, I thought they could have started like a year later, but oh, I yes, know. go I'm on. I'm just being facetious, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could have been worse, right? I mean, it, they could have went the other way. It was the day of the funeral and everybody's doing right. doing their remembrances right. that way. Like um, on news radio. Three weeks is such a weird time after a death in the family, right? Because, you know, the the weird sort of saving grace of being so fucking busy with all the red tape of somebody dying, especially when it's just like your first parent and the other parent is still alive and you have to help them deal with all the stuff. Like there's so much stuff that has to happen right away. And it's like a whirlwind. Like when my dad died and I went up back to Canada, like I had to stay up there for a month just to deal with changing the car registration, the bank stuff and the insurance stuff and phoning the OPP and figuring out where the pension stuff goes now and all this sort of stuff. Like there's so much to do that like around the two or three week is like where you actually like get a moment to yourself. And I felt like the kind of the tone of, of the first episode did an okay job capturing that just sort of like the exhaustion of being in the in the public and everybody saying how sorry they are and all that kind of stuff and just doing all the grunt work of a family death and then just like having this moment where you let yourself be yourself and let go and just like be sad for a while i thought that was pretty good the one thing i kind of like like i know it was a it was a storyline in roseanne 2.0 with the 
or pain management and stuff like that. But the the whole opiate overdose thing seemed a little after schooly to me, like the way they handled it. Like it seemed a little broad, <laughs> a little loud. This is a good way to this is a good time to throw to Buncey, I think, because um, as an intervention uh, chronicler, this is more her area. <laughs> How did you think they handled it and or the bereavement since that sadly is something that you also have gone through in your family uh, very recently? Um, yeah, I thought they did. I think they had limited options, really. Like they could do the, they could have handled it sort of in the um, Charlie Sheen way, which was to like to literally drop a safe on her or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't think was an option. And, you know, I think they put in this, um, I think the way that they ended up going with it, at least in the first reboot episode, where it turns out that there's like a, pill sharing ring because mm-hmm. healthcare in this country fucking sucks and the you know the fact that they tacked to the left with with that i thought was clever but there there were certain things that i think they had to do and they did them mm-hmm. and uh i agree with sarah baker that you know having having lori metcalf in your cast to handle the parts that need to be sad that on one level you have this cast saying goodbye to this character who was their center but then you also have the characters saying goodbye to the character and she was such a champ in that scene which is something you haven't really seen before that trope of the you know frantically organizing Mm -hmm. person trying to control grief by rearranging the cabinets (laughs) sure but what i also liked about it is that there is a really black humor or sometimes not even a black humor around these events that like everyone's sort of coming and going in the house and you know passing the portrait of the person and sort of fondly patting it but also still making fun of that person like maybe that's just my family but i thought that was very (laughs) relatable like um Becky being like, you know, they find the pills and Dan takes them. And she's like, that was the only thing from mom's closet I <laughs> actually wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, there you go. And then Dan at the bar being like, this is a domestic beer. My loss is deeper than that. Like, that is exactly something that my uh, <laughs> my late Uncle Cliff would have tried to pull. Just kidding. He didn't really like imported beer. <laughs> he, he would have tried to leverage it somehow, though. May he rest. Uh But yeah, I thought it was, I don't know that this is really my jam either to keep watching, but I thought this was the best parts of what I liked about the original from back in the day. And I have to say that Sarah Gilbert has gotten really good at these quick changes between like the fact that this character is always kind of up on a tightrope with the snarkiness like over the sadness and she's gotten really good at changing back and forth between those really quickly and, and letting us see what the character is. And she had a really nice moment with that in the second episode. And I was impressed with it. Like, this is not something that I would, you know, seek out, but I'm not going to leave the room to avoid it, (laughs) you know, on principle, thanks to, (laughs) it's, it's lead characters bullshit anymore. So yay. Yeah, that's what made me so sad about the first one, like that, that there it 
when the last the last season of Roseanne, the last last season of Roseanne, that I thought the first episode that we saw was not very good. The second one was getting better. And then the third that they had provided for critics was like from later in the season. I think it was episode seven. And it was one that that got into her the character's um, opioid opioid addiction. And that was like getting the closest, I thought, to what the original run of the show did so well, which was like actually portray the problems of working class people. And that was like the whole line about the reboot. Like there are other shows about working class people. They're just not always white. Like we get it. But but I thought that was really strong. And so it's, you know, I get why that that was a through line and it made sense for that to be the the cause of her death. But like what made me so happy about the second one was it's like, this is a show that I can enjoy and it and it's bringing up um, another generation of characters too. I have to say as good as Sarah Gilbert is, and she is the casting of Emma Kenny as her daughter is amazing. Those two look so much alike and they have such nice chemistry. I thought her yeah. and Harris and she looked that actor really looks like the product of the other two actors. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. I will also say just quickly before we get off the topic of the opioid stuff, there's also a moment in the second episode where Becky is talking to Dan about how she was really having difficulty going a whole day yeah, or a whole mm-hmm. shift without drinking and they managed to play like this is a really narrow fairway to stay on that. It's not a PSA, but it's not um, like inappropriately jokey either. Mm -hmm. It just is. And I think that has always been the gift of this show that they could just let things be both like a little bit dark or scary, but also kind of funny, which is how they are in life. And it's, it's always been good at that. So I appreciated that too. And I might actually tune in to see where that goes because Mm -hmm. it's like the one show that I might, you know, be interested to see what they do with it because there's kind of only two things that shows ever do do with it. And I think Mm -hmm. they would find a third way anyway. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting that they they sort of made it like that's part of her job as a waitress that, you know, she drinks shots on the job like that's late. I mean, I feel like that's a thing I've seen (laughs) surfers do in life and on shows like, you know, that makes more sense. Whereas when you're working drywall at 630 in the morning, it's not really okay to come with a vodka bottle full of or a water bottle full of vodka. But they also have her when he says he has a a zero tolerance uh, policy about that on the job. And she shoots back like, oh, what does the union think about that? (laughs) Which I thought was also a good line that she could get him (laughs) back. But anyway, Sarah Baker, do you think you will continue watching this? Or was there more that you that you uh, thought about the the first two episodes that that made you hopeful or not about the the coming seasons? I mean, I think I'll definitely tune in for the third and then see. I mean, my typical habit with a show like this where I like it, but I'm not necessarily it'll end up sitting on my DVR and then Mm -hmm. there'll be two and then there'll be three and then I'll either watch (laughs) them all or delete them. So we'll see which way it goes. But um, but I do think in talking about the all the stuff with her death, they did kind of pick the perfect time for it to be like if it had been at the funeral it would have had to be sad or would have been so Mm -hmm. inappropriate but we didn't we don't want to be that sad for that character right so i thought (laughs) yeah that's a good point you know super smart for them to put it put enough distance so that we wouldn't have to watch people mourning this you know terrible ish woman yeah (laughs) um 
so I thought that was really clever. And I do think that that's it. It didn't bother me the the darkness of the the first episode just because I feel like that show was always and maybe it's because of the time period it was on when they used to not just be joke 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 these multicams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they did allow moments to breathe on that show always and yeah um and and like you're talking about with the drinking thing where it's not it wasn't like oh my god she's a terrible alcoholic and by the end of the episode she's totally downhill nor was it just (laughs) resolved and now she doesn't drink anymore it's like yeah no this is going to be an ongoing thing and and even her dad isn't like god damn it becky you've got to get a handle on this thing you know it was just like She was like, I'm going to try to do better. And he was like, okay, well, you know, I'll give you this much time. And there we go. You know, mm-hmm. everything is just a little bit more, um, yeah, realistic for a multicam show, which I appreciate. I also like that they threw in a Lady Bird for, uh, joke in the second episode, too, with um, Harris threatening to jump out of the car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for even if Laurie Metcalf <laughs> couldn't be in it with her, it's still I, I saw it and I enjoyed it. Well, Dave, I, I doubt you're going to keep watching this unless I do. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I, you know, it was good. I liked it. But yeah, I'm kind of a Sarah. Like, I'm, it's not appointment television for me, but I mm-hmm. thought they walked the line i thought they did a good job with their situation if if anything's going to keep me from watching the show it's probably dj's hairline which is terrifying and <laughs> monsterish um yeah it's, it's frightening i don't know what dna that guy's working with but uh that hair is going to last him a lifetime and uh you know well done i guess <laughs> everybody it is time to go around the dial talking about a little something we're watching these days first stop tara ariana well i wanted to compare and contrast the first season of camping on hbo and the second season of splitting up together on abc which has just started and which full disclosure uh includes on its writing staff brian rubenstein my co-host on bride and doom hey brian um Camping is the new show from Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor, and I believe it's a remake of a British show. Um, and this is the one with Jennifer Garner. She's married to David Tennant. It's his birthday. They go out camping with a bunch of their friends, and she's extremely type A and neurotic, and everything goes wrong, and she can't handle it because she's super type A. This is the less interesting of these two, and it's and yet I'm going to keep watching it because like everything around the Jennifer Garner character is so good and really well observed. Um, Sarah Baker's former co-star Brett Gelman is on it with um, his real life. Are they married? His wife, girlfriend, his partner. I, I, it's Janixa Bravo. Okay, <laughs> they are they play a couple on the show. Um, they are great. Uh, Juliette Lewis, who also was guest starring in the second episode of the Connors that we saw is a, is a cast member here as well. Um, Ioni Sky plays Jennifer Garner's sister. Um, Chris Sullivan from This Is Us is playing a much more scumbaggy character than he does on that one. Um, all of them are great, but I feel like there's so much, they make the Jennifer Garner character, Catherine, the butt of the joke so often. And like the, the premise is she's... I mean, not the premise of the show, but the premise of her character is that she's had problems with her pelvic floor. Like she had to have a hysterectomy and an ovectomy after her the birth of their son. And she's had like 10 years of chronic pain and issues with this. And they make it seem like all of her like it's all in her head. They make it seem completely psychosomatic, which is a really weird choice for a show from two women creators when like 
women living with chronic pain and that doesn't get diagnosed properly or taken seriously by doctors is a real problem that happens. And I believe Lena Dunham has had some kind of gynecological issue like fibroids, maybe. I can't remember. But like you would think that she would have more empathy for this character, but she's just so abused um, in a way that is not enjoyable. Like I, I, I was sort of with her in the first episode where this, like she's she has a whole binder for this week that they're spending camping. She's planned things out like to the minute. And when they happen upon a lake, she's like, no, we can't go swimming today. Swimming is tomorrow. Today is for bird watching and gets all, you know, angry when no one listens to her and stuff like I'm also type A. I get it. But she's so joyless and like it's it's just everything around her is great. And then for her to be the center of it is like just unfortunate. Whereas contrast that with Lena on Splitting Up Together. This is a show that we talked about briefly when it premiered uh, at midseason earlier this year, where this is the couple, Jenna Fisher and Oliver Hudson are uh, getting divorced, but they can't sell their house because they're underwater. So the parents just take turns living in the big house and looking after the kids one week at a time. And Lena is also super type A. And we're, we're given to understand that part of the problem with their marriage is that she sort of had to become like the naggy stick in the mud because someone had to do it in their marriage because they had three kids. And yet this show has so much more empathy for her and the premiere in particular, which is the only one I've seen so far. The second episode will air tonight as we're recording this. Um, they, they have her go on like this. <clears throat> she and the, and Oliver Hudson's character are trying to like maybe rekindle things or try it out or just fool around or whatever. They're not sure what they're going to do. So she books them at this Airbnb in Malibu. And when they get there, it's not as advertised. Like there's a hot tub, but it's like disgusting. They claim there's a king bed and it's clearly not. And after she spends the night with like one foot on the floor because it's so small, she like waits for him to go to for a run and then goes like ransacking the house looking for sheets and finds one that says full and calls to complain. And it was like, this is relatable to me. That's exactly what I would do. I would be furious and I would want to solve the problem. And so the way they they get through it is like she has to explain to him like, you know, I, I would I would just would appreciate you understanding like that there are reasons why I'm like this. And part of it is because you're not like this and someone has to be or else things would not function. And so if you are interested in a type A female character, but want one that doesn't treat her like a joke all the time, I would recommend splitting up together over camping. Although I am going to keep watching camping because the supporting characters are superb. And for my plug, Sarah and I were lucky enough to be back on Dave and Jeb Buncy. Aren't Mean. What? Dave, Buncy. sorry. <laughs> Buncy. Thank you, Dave. And I uh, were welcomed back onto Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean, past and surely future guest of ours. Uh, Jeb Lund has a Hallmark, uh, a podcast where he talks about movies of the Hallmark Network. And so we had previously been on in May, I think, to talk about The Wedding March with Josie Bissett and Jack Wagner. The Wedding March 2 is the obvious choice for us to discuss in that second episode. So we'll link it in the show notes. But uh, that is now free. It's no longer behind a paywall. So check us out ripping on Jack Wagner's weird Elizabeth Warren hair on that. <laughs> Sarah Baker, what do you got? Um, I have been watching Get Ready for It, especially after what I just said about multicam sitcoms, <laughs> The Cool Kids on Fox. Which is a show starring Martin Mull and David Allen Greer, Vicki Lawrence, and Leslie Jordan. The premise is that the three guys have been friends and they had a fourth, 
best friends, the cool kids, you know, the cool table in the retirement home. And one of their friends dies and Vicki Lawrence comes in and sort of barges her way into their table and their friendship and lives. And they are all <laughs> fast friends and go on adventures together. Guys, it's funny. I really? love it. It's I mean, okay. I believe you. I'm just excited to have another show yeah, to watch. It's... <laughs> now, granted, again, I've said I'm not a big multicam person. So I go into a show like that thinking, man, I'm really excited because I love all four of the main people. Mm-hmm. But also, this could be so dumb and terrible. So the bar was low. So let's let's state that up front. <laughs> but I, I mean, I laugh every episode. It's I, Leslie Jordan is so funny to me. I also watch Will and Grace, which I also very much enjoy. And it's a different character than he plays on Will and Grace. Um, he's more what I would imagine the actor is like in person. He's just mm-hmm. a regular guy. Um, but you, you know, you haven't really seen an older gay guy character that much on television. Yeah. Um, and while it's very much a part of his personality and, you know, he talks about dating and men and whatever, it's not like othered at all. You know, it's just mm-hmm. part of who he is. But they're all um, they're all buddies. They get into little adventures. It's I mean, it's still very silly multicam in some ways, but and maybe it's you know, the background of those three people or four people. Um, but it just kind of works for me. And Martin Mull is still Martin Mull. And he, you know, he's fairly subtle and his character is a little bit more of like the, uh, subversive kind of down note guy. Um, and David Allen Greer is always really funny to me too. Um, so I think it does a good job at um it, it it kind of reminds me of when I was a kid watching Golden Girls. Okay. Uh, I think I think this will maybe be that for some people because it comes on a Friday night too. Yeah. And for me, Golden Girls was on at an age where it was like maybe you would go out sometimes on a Friday night, but <laughs> oftentimes you were at home, but you weren't going to bed early. You were old enough to, you know, stay up and watch TV. Um, and there's just something very comforting about that. There's, you know, it's a multicam, so they're not in a lot of different places. It's kind of like Golden Girls in that respect, only the setting here is a nursing home. Um, but it's just, it's, it's just comforting. It's like a, it's like a delicious bowl of soup. And I think you should (laughs) check it out. Well, I enjoy, enjoy I enjoy mom. So that sounds like it would be a good pairing with mom for me. Yeah, totally. And for your plug, you work all the time, but what is, uh, tell us about the next thing that you have coming up. Um, the biggest thing I have coming up is a show called The Kaminsky Method, which will be on your Netflix machines on November 16th. Um, it's eight episodes. It stars Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. I play Michael mm-hmm. Douglas's daughter, uh, Nancy Travis who is on everything right now with her reboot. Um, she plays uh, Michael Douglas's student slash love interest. Um, and it's basically Michael Douglas is uh, an actor who maybe had a brush with fame in the past, but isn't like a really super famous, well-known actor, but he mm-hmm. has this very successful acting school that he runs. And 
I, as his daughter, sort of run mainly the business side of that. And then Alan Arkin plays his longtime best friend slash agent. Uh, And Alan's character suffers a loss at the beginning of the series. And um, this kind of follows that, their relationship together. Um, It's it's a good binge show. It literally, each episode, there's not a lot of time covered. Each episode picks up where the last one left off, more or less. So, uh, and it's only eight episodes and Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin are incredible. And Alan Arkin is a freaking delight of a human being. <laughs> so please watch. I'm glad to know that. That sounds great. Uh, I will definitely watch that for sure. Yeah. I'm here to talk about Get a Room with Carson and Tom. I actually have not watched the new Queer Eye. I loved the original, though, and I love Carson Kressley as a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. But I was a little apprehensive about this because Carson, at least, is sort of like, um, you know, those like little silver candy balls on <laughs> Christmas cookies. Yeah, <laughs> I I was like, they're so like they're circles. They're glow. No, they're they're balls. They're great, <laughs> but like a a handful of just those is no good. You you need the cookie. So I was a little apprehensive because Carson, just Carson can be kind of a lot. Um, But I like Tom Felicia a lot, not least because he laughed at one of my jokes in an elevator once like 15 years ago. And I was like, thanks, buddy. You didn't have to do that. Um, So I thought, what the hell? It's not going to be reinventing the wheel, but I think these two will really balance each other. And it's probably TV comfort food. Uh, It is not reinventing the wheel. It is TV comfort food. These two clearly like are definitely friends in real life. They really like each other. The sort of conceit, at least in the beginning, is that Carson, uh, and he is Chiron this way in several shots, is a interior design trainee. <laughs> um, he really like he has one moment with an early client where he sort of freaks out that Tom is going to check his work and is not going to like it. And then that the client is not going to like it. Um, he like he really is learning this aspect of the business and then tom is teaching him and us at the same time little tricks like why things look way more orange once you get them home than they do Mm -hmm. in the store or at mood which of course they're a mood um you know again it's something you haven't seen before the episode structure is predictable it's a couple of different clients during each episode with varying budgets and levels of neurosis. And there's plenty of time in there for Tom and Carson to do like bits in the car on their way to Scarsdale or wherever they're going. There's a little bit of helpful intel from Tom about how to set up spaces. There's behind the scenes insight into how to collaborate with reluctant slash tacky clients. Do you need to DVR this when there's an entire HGTV network? Not necessarily. But if you let them rack up five or six weeks of episodes and then bunk down with a marathon of it on a weekend day when the weather gets cold, it'll be just the thing. Um, And if you do want to watch live or live-ish, it's on Friday nights. So I watched it, too. I I thought it was good as well. And I I agree that the the, the chemistry between Carson and Tom is delightful. But I, I felt like it didn't need to be an hour. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, because given that it's two clients each yeah. time, like just cut it down to half an hour that was sort of yeah i agree with you i hadn't I mean, thought of that but yeah because the thing is like for for what they're filling with it's like you're not going to be able to learn much that you can translate to your own room when you're dealing with a client where you tell them for me to redo your living room and your deck 
will be $130,000. And they're just like, sure, like there's nothing I can take from this in my own life. Well, and then the other client is like, I have a budget of $5,000. Also, you will need to consult on your design decisions with the chandelier that is inhabited by the spirit of my dead mother-in-law. Uh-huh. That room looked great, though. I mean, they both did. did, But I thought thought Carson did a really nice job with that room. But yeah, I I agree. It is it is enjoyable. And it's like like all of HGTV shows, even the ones that are now like you just turn it on, like sort of pay attention to it and then just wait for the reveal at the end. And, you know, but you're good. And everything looks so everything looks so pretty and clean on those shows. I really love it that I'm like, if I only just like dusted and got a magic eraser (laughs) after those smudges on doors, like I too could live like this. But instead, I'm fucking watching TV Mm -hmm. as always. Um, Anyway, that's Get a Room with Carson and Tom. It's Friday nights on Bravo. For my plug. I have a true crime podcast. It is called The Blotter Presents. Recently, I've begun publishing or um recording little uh, sort of shorties. Uh, they're called blotter briefs. Teehee nice. briefs. Um, I literally say teehee every time I say briefs. It's a thing. <laughs> um, it's all the stuff that I don't get to on the main podcast. So this week, um, apparently we're in a golden age of football crime podcast. So I'm talking about a couple of those. I'm talking about a couple library books I read. I'm talking about a couple episodes of POV. And then on the main podcast, Eve Beatty and I are getting into making a murderer and a Super terrible and tacky um, take on the Bernardo Homolka case from 2006, starring, I shit you not, Laura Prepon. Oh, I'm very aware. And Misha <laughs> Collins of Supernatural. Uh-huh. It's not good. Uh, so that's what we're talking about on the main podcast. But uh, in the same feed, you have little five to seven minute short shots, as it were. Nice. Uh, that's Blotter Briefs, Teehee Briefs, wherever fine podcasts are not sold. So I actually watched something this week. So I actually have a real thing to report. I'll probably get back to uh, people forced Dave to watch other things next week. Um, I, we were uh, trying to find stuff to watch because we had a very lazy weekend here at Austin HQ. Uh, I came across and I, I feel like in the back of my mind, I knew about this, but I had, for, you know, I had forgotten about it. There are two episodes of Monty Python that they filmed for the German market. They actually made them in Bavaria and they're on Netflix now. Under a separate bucket, it's Monty Python's. Oh, my German is terrible. Fliegender Zirkus. Fliegender, yeah, Fliegender Zirkus. Yeah, um, it's actually <laughs> like it, it's it's not essential, but it's actually pretty novel if you're a Monty Python fan and you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, it's like sixty five percent new stuff. I'm gonna peg it at thereabouts. Um, the second episode had had less new material than the first one. I think. Yeah, and the first episode, the guys are actually speaking German and it's all subtitled. Apparently, some of them are doing it phonetically. There are some like weird little twists, like the lumberjack sketches in it, but it's all in it's a, in German. It's all in German. The guy's like a barbarian. You know, he's got a lederhosen and everything like that. Um, <laughs> but there are some good sketches and there are some terrible long sketches that are like real clunkers, especially in the second episode. But if you're a Monty Python fan, it's worth checking out. They're like an hour and a little bit each. And it's just so weird to like see them speak German and like sketches that seem familiar but they're all now german people it's just like it's it's <laughs> it's like stepping into like a, a fringe universe you know it's just like what happened oh you're in the uh german monty python universe now it's like okay <laughs> got it got it so that's available on netflix uh tara once again the title 
Monty Python Vliegender Circus. Yes, there you go. And uh, in other news, we actually ended up devouring the whole run of uh, Dreamland slash Utopia that uh, Dan Casito made me watch. That was uh, very good. Yeah, <laughs> there is the actually another noise. season that um, uh, season three that's not on Netflix yet, but uh, so that's something to look forward to. And uh, then we moved on to the or I moved on to already, already watched it. The One Degree of Separation show Rosehaven, which you talked about, right, earlier? Yeah, I talked about it in Around the Dial, yeah. I think, earlier this year. Two time. of the actors that are on Utopia also have the show called uh, Rosehaven, set in Tasmania, sort of a quirky small town friendship series. And it is really funny. It is like it's, just so the right amount like of quirk without being fey is perfectly done. I really enjoyed it a lot. Alas, you can't find it anywhere, but I might be able to help anyone who's planning to fly to Tasmania. Through methods. To, uh, to locate it. Because its I don't think it's on the Sundance Now app even, which is what Sundance aired But here's here. the thing. There are so many outlets that need material that I bet in six months it'll be somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, if, if, if Dreamland made it to Netflix, I'm sure it'll be on Netflix yep. too at some point. Exactly. Yeah. That means it is time for the canon a user submission this week from Dylan Garcia. You may recognize that name. He wrote uh, a lot for previously.tv. He is here to talk about RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. Take it away, Dylan. Hi, Extra Hot Great. I'm presenting Season 2, Episode 5 of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, titled Revenge of the Queens. This episode deserves a spot in the canon because of its Shakespearean vanquishing of seasoned villain B.P. O'Hara, the hilarious main challenge, and most importantly, the greatest lip sync the show has ever seen and ever will see. We begin <laughs> in the workroom with B.P. O'Hara throwing a ludicrous amount of shade at the most recently eliminated queen, Alyssa Edwards, when it is dramatically revealed that all of the queens that have been eliminated so far in the season are seated behind the two-way makeup mirror, listening to the whole conversation. Fifi stands in stunned silence while the other girls scream in confusion. The eliminated queens make their return to the workroom, and Alyssa immediately confronts Fifi, who comes across as bitchy and petty. So, nothing new. Do you remember when you were in high school on the phone, and you were like, girl, I can't stand her. She is so fake. And then your friend was like, well, Melissa, what do you think about that? And they were on three-way. Fifi's crack was that three-way phone call in high school crack. <laughs> Rue enters the workroom to announce the challenge. An eliminated queen will be paired with a queen still on the running for a stand-up comedy routine. The top two returning queens will lip-sync for their life. The winner will eliminate a queen still on the returning, running, and return to the show in their place. A live audience for the show will be fellow drag queens, and everyone is beyond nervous. Alyssa is paired with Alaska, Ginger with Katya, Tatiana with Detox, Coco with Fifi, and Roxy will serve as solo MC. And if she wins, she gets to eliminate a queen and then choose a queen to return. Spoiler alert, she doesn't win and is terrible the entire season. <laughs> Fifi and Coco reprising characters they played on their season, which is super lazy, probably because the two of them don't seem to have a sense of humor despite being drag queens. Coco knows she's not coming back and is visibly bored throughout the brainstorming session. Although Alaska eliminated Alyssa in the last episode, they work together well and plan on playing up Alyssa's bonkers one-liners. Alyssa does not know what cliff notes are, and also I'm pretty sure she doesn't know how to read. You make an outline, I can go with it on the fly. Now I'm going to have my cliff notes. Cliff's notes. Like Cliff's? the person's name is Cliff. Who told you that? I read them. <laughs> They're books. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> the show begins with Roxy immediately apologizing and sucking and proceeds to fumble her first joke. She then makes a fat joke that turns to an airport joke, and everyone groans at it. Like I said earlier, she's not going to win. Fifi and Coco are out first, and holy shit, somebody call Tennessee Williams. Fifi's character is pregnant in the pink miniskirt with blonde braids and six-inch fingernails, and Coco is playing someone that looks embarrassed to be near Fifi. They perform a weird, humorless one-act play with exactly one joke about using Doritos dust as makeup. It lasts only one minute, but oh my god, what a minute. Roxy returns to the stage as her character Tasha Salad from Season 5's Children's Show Challenge and proceeds to bomb some more with some hot salad buns. Why does she have this costume with her? Why is she doing this again? Oh God, why, why, why? <laughs> Alaska and Alyssa come out and kill it in the most bizarre dialogue, roast, I don't know. It makes no sense and somehow absolutely destroys the room. It's proof that charisma can get you far in this show. Ginger and Katya are fine, and that's about it. Although it's more prepared than Alaska and Alyssa's bit, it comes across as forced and weird. Guess what, y'all? More salad puns from Roxy. Tatiana and Detox have a weird alliterative monologue about anuses and it's weirdly the funniest act of the entire night. It's hard to describe, but it works on all levels. Oh, you see, there's a bevy of beautiful, bitter bitches already here hitting the buffet. <laughs> Bean and I met last year at Patty's Pooches with Prolapse Garden Party. We did. The rosebuds were in full bloom. <laughs> the assholes were out, literally. <laughs> Alyssa and Tatiana are declared top, while Roxy and Fifi are on the bottom, which feels about right. Both can go home and nothing of value would be lost. What makes this episode especially canon-worthy is the lip-sync to the flawless Rihanna's Shut Up and Drive, and what proceeds to the next 104 seconds is stuff of legend. Each queen is a known lip-sync assassin, and are performing at the top of their game. It comes across as incredibly rehearsed because they respond and react to each other's moves with synchronized jumps and spins and that thing where Tatiana points at Alyssa. It's honestly jaw-dropping, and Carson's reaction is so iconic and has been used in a trillion reaction gifs on Twitter. <laughs> in a win for the good guys, they both return to the competition and both eliminate Fifi with the biggest smiles on their faces. Fifi leaves the show looking like an even bigger monster when she refuses a hug from Alyssa, one of the all-time greatest reality show villains, I tell you what. I hope that you see the excellence in this episode that makes it so iconic and important in the history of the show. I hope it makes it into the canon, and if not, you're a bunch of homophobes. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> uh, Perfect. Well, Sarah Baker picked this from among our user submissions, so why don't you start us off with your your uh, your thoughts? Okay, I love the show. I've watched, I think, all episodes of this show. Minus, I think I missed like one whole season, which was maybe season six. I have, I guess, a problem with all-star seasons in general mm -hmm. in that all the people that are on it should be the greatest people, but they've kind of now, because they're all also regular people, at least in this case, they have a drag persona that, you know, theoretically doesn't really change very much, but it's kind of like they figured out what people loved about them from the first season they were on that made them all stars and now they're mm -hmm. just doing a weird amped version of that so that always kind of bugs me there's not it doesn't ever feel as genuine i mean fifi i, I amc network's sundance now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas heart-stopping thrillers and gripping true crime series from around the world 
Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! Now on these shows there are villains and but I am somebody who I don't I don't I'm not a love to hate it type person I guess and I just hate Fifi she's so awful <laughs> as a human being and she wants redemption so badly but she's not going at it in any kind of genuine way where she's actually going to get it because she's yeah. not changed her insides she's still the same person mm-hmm. um and it just makes her look terrible and so any any episode where she's the main focus i just can't get into plus i feel like as an episode of this show it just doesn't have any of the to me i would want it to be a classic episode i want to see them all there's no there's no um runway show you know there's no like normal runway walk which is one of the best parts of the show um not that Every episode has this, but I would want it to be one of the ones where they're in the workroom putting their makeup on and end up talking about their lives. And even sometimes the people that are fighting on the show end up sort of supporting each other because they have, in fact, all had mostly pretty hard upbringings or at least shared some of similar hard moments in their upbringings because of being gay or because of being a drag queen or in some cases because of being trans. Um and this episode didn't have any of that. I, I love Alyssa. I love Alaska. And so it has some queens on that I really like. Um, but to me, this isn't like the classic RuPaul's Drag Race episode that I, I would want to add to the canon. Okay. Buncy. Um Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, I would like to say um, on behalf of... <laughs> homophobes named Sarah B, I guess, <laughs> on this panel. <laughs> I was definitely not mad to revisit this franchise, um, yeah. but I was struggling to see why this is canonical for for the franchise. Um, first of all, I can't agree enough with uh, Baker about Fifi. It's not even satisfying when she's sent packing because it's not like a comeuppance is ever received. She just fee off like she's gone, which is a relief. 
but it's not like she ever gets it. Um, mm-hmm. And before she's gone, she's an asshole. Uh, mm-hmm. I, there was an extended opening argument in which the phrase thrown under the bus or some variation thereon, which is like one of the worst reality TV overuses as it is, was used like, I'm going to say conservatively 67 times. <laughs> That's and, fair. And I still, I couldn't even follow it. Like in order to follow the beef there, I think you would have had to watch three episodes before it as well. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure to see some of these guest judges. Uh, I love Todd Recall. I love Chelsea Peretti. Um, I love the editing that makes the comedic bombing seem even worse than it is. But the thing is, it was really bad. It was really <laughs> painful. Um, I laughed way harder at uh, Dylan's <laughs> Roxy shade than I laughed at anything anyone said even the good routines um that three-way calling thing is the most i ever liked roxy andrews but she gets a lot of screen time in this and i don't like her either Mm-mm. uh so this you know d- this episode put me in the rare position of feeling kind of sorry for michelle Visage. <laughs> so that's unique but i'm not sure it's i'm not sure it's canon worthy and all of Baker's points are right on. Like there are things about this episode that are not typical enough and give the show the heart and sweetness. And I continue to object to, at least in this season, the unbelievably Baroque and unsatisfying elimination process with the lipsticks and the lips lip sync for your legacy is just too complicated. Everything about this is too complicated and not on brand enough in good ways. And like the only thing that's really on brand is Fifi and that's not a good thing. So I really enjoyed this presentation a lot. I did not hate watching the episode again, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't see the logic. Okay, uh, I'll go next. I did love it. Um, it has, I, I agree with Dylan, it has so many iconic moments. I mean, you're that girl I knew you were, an all-timer. Um, the the lip sync, he's right, it's like one of the greatest ever. And the coordination between them, like just from costumes onward, the, I mean, I assume that they had quite a colloquy like, in the, whatever time there is between you know, they're judging and when they come out, because they obviously worked out a bunch of stuff, like even in a rough way, and they sold it amazingly for me. Uh, I agree with Sarah Baker's points about, you know, that all-star seasons are not as satisfying. I agree with Bunsey that the judging is for Cocta, although I wasn't mad that both of them came back. Um, but I just, I was just delighted to revisit it again. Um, and, uh, I, I thought Dylan made a good argument and it convinced me, although I was, I have to say, pre-convinced because by the end of it, when we get to like Fifi trudging off stage and Alyssa trying to hug her and then like that hand wave, like so many gifable moments. I, I just love Alyssa. So um, for me, this this was a great episode and I, I personally do think it is canon worthy. So Dave. Okay, so Fifi as the villain totally works for me because 
she is just a total shit. Like there is a moment where, (laughs) like, I, I agree that it's a little unsatisfying at the end that she's not, she's not catapulted out of town, you know, out of the village (laughs) kind of thing. As far as we saw. But that she is just like this total ass. And (laughs) there is a moment where she tries to make up and mend the fence but then, like, during that, she becomes incredibly defensive again and undoes everything she, like, had done in the past minute. And then she's put off by the whole process that she started trying <laughs> to save her ass in the group. Like, it's amazing mm-hmm. how self-destructive that she was in that I, episode. She, that she's like, I don't have to kiss your ass to stay here. And Alyssa's like, but you do. That's <laughs> what we're doing right now. Right. So do it. Pig-headedness is sort of amazing thing, and when somebody is is tossed for it, it is very satisfying. But like, I agree, the manner in which she left at the end, like there was no "don't let the door hit you on the way out" sort of moment from anybody else. Maybe because they had just experienced the return of a bunch of queens, so they were a little <laughs> hesitant to, true, <laughs> you know, uh, make anything definite. But I did enjoy the episode. I'm not really up on like the structure and what you know goes into a typical episode of this show even though we've talked about it a lot we usually do premiere season premieres and i believe we did a canon that was two episodes before this uh once upon a time judging by my itunes library which has uh episode <laughs> three is this five and then i think we did three at some yeah. point but i really kind of enjoyed the premise that there is this you know comedy show and this mc and everything like that i thought it was a good showcase a la snatch game i felt actually kind of felt sorry for the mc because i feel like if that was me i would be exactly the same like i have stuff prepared but i would fumble over it obviously you guys know if you've been listening to this podcast for more than two weeks (laughs) you're a perfect angel yeah (laughs) but the lip syncing at the end was fantastic and you can really appreciate how the fans of the show really latched on to all the moments that tara was talking about and Dylan was talking about that turned into sort of, you know, the, the internet memes and stuff with with good reason. I did enjoy it. I just wish either that everybody else gave Fifi a nice send off, you know, or that Fifi was more blindsided by it. A la Mitchell from Survivor. That we're just oh, talking about. Mitchell. A classic. Yeah. Uh, just just if, if that was a little more satisfying, I think it would have been even better. But I did it. I did enjoy this episode. Um, a lot. So with that, shall we put this to the official vote? Do you mean find out who the true LGBTQIA allies are? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Baker. Not the Americans. And- I'm every- kidding. <laughs> every time somebody says Baker, I just imagine you in full desert camouflage running through some sort of action scene because Baker is the perfect you know, army grunt in a movie name. So Baker, <laughs> what vote you? I guess we've always already established that I'm a racist, so might as well <laughs> throw homophobe onto the pile. All right. Um, I vote I vote no. I love the show. I vote no. Because I love this show. Buncey? Love the show. Love the presentation. Apparently don't love my LGBTQIA plus <laughs> brethren, sisterin, and otherin. It's a no for me. All right, Ariana. I vote yes. All right. I'm yes. also going to vote yes, but ties mean that unfortunately... RuPaul's Drag Race, All-Stars, Season 2, Episode 5, 
Revenge of the Queens. You are not inducted into the extra. Oh, great game. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and loser of the week. Who has our winner? Me. And it is Emerald Fennel or possibly Fennel. Uh, I guess of Call the Midwife, although I don't think she was on the most recent episode at all. Anyway, she's been cast in season three of The Crown playing then Camilla Shand, the future Camilla Parker Bowles. Um, and re- looking this up reminded me that I'd done a post that we'll link in the show notes uh, on previously.tv that did side by side comparisons of a number of photos of Emerald Fennell and Khloe Kardashian because they have the same face. So if you can imagine that face with the weird. Uncanny. It really is. I mean, partly that post, which you can see, as I said in the show notes, it's, it's, uh, you know, if I may say, good photo research, but still, they are really weirdly identical in the face. But anyway, uh, that's going to be the other woman of Prince Charles' wedding in season three of The Crown whenever we get it. And loser of the Are you a show on Netflix consisting of a two-word phrase, each of which uh, the words have four letters? Then you are <laughs> shit out of luck. Or maybe your show is called Shit Luck. Iron Fist and Luke Cage were both canceled by Netflix after two seasons each. Um, I forgot the existence of Iron Fist. Yeah. Never mind that it even had a second season. So that one's probably fine. Luke Cage is a little disappointing, I guess. But I think that show never quite figured out how to be. It's how to be best yeah <laughs> so it was a real missed well. opportunity that show i yeah, wanted it to be agreed. so much better than it was and it had like great moments but it was so that season was so flabby yeah it was so long uh speaking about things that are flabby and long do you know what time it is <laughs> <laughs> it's game time oh <laughs> 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 All right, everybody, this is the sixth game time of the current season. To remind you, the season scores are Tara 3, Buncey 1, and Value Guess also at 1. I just want to say at this point, if you have a game that you're thinking of submitting, please do so. Or if you just have an idea you want to pass by me first, make sure it hasn't been done in the past. Absolutely. Email me at david at cole, that's C-O-L-E, dot fyi and uh we'll have a little chat all right so today uh we're getting into the upcoming halloween spirit with a game called monster mash from our good friend dan casino Uh, in this game i'll give you the name and description of a monster from a tv show along with the year the monster debuted all you have to do is name the show that the monster appeared on if you need a hint, I'll give you the name of one of the actors that appeared alongside the monster or in a case of a cartoon, one of the voice actors. Okay. Here's an example. If I told you that Gossamer, who first appeared in 1946, is a giant orange creature apparently made entirely of fur with big eyes and tennis shoes who hangs around a mad <laughs> scientist's lair occasionally chasing rabbits, ducks, and pigs, you'd know that he appeared on... Looney Tunes or Bugs Bunny? Yes. Looney Tunes. And the hint would have been probably Mel Blank. Make sense? Nice. Yes. All right. Do we yes. get two points for a correct answer before the hint and then one point after? 
Well, yes, for the most part. And we'll get into that as we go along. Okay. Uh, To make things a touch easier, Mr. Dan Casino has ordered the questions uh, chronologically by first appearance of the monster. So we're going to start in the distant past, work our way up to near present. Okay. There are 36 questions. Tara, steel mill situation, please. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Sarah D. Bunting has five steel meals and the valued guests have three and I have zero. All right. Very good. And uh, can you explain to Sarah Baker steel meals and how they work? Absolutely. If another player uh, craps out answering their question, you can, before Dave moves on or gives the correct answer, uh, say steel meal, and then you can uh, answer and steal their points. Great. All right, everybody. Are we ready to play Monster Mash? Yes. Yes, sir. All right. Let's go to the pickies, see who's going first. We will start with Sarah. So our order is Buncy, Tara, and then Sarah. Are we ready to play? Here we go. Our first round is the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And because the further back we go in time, I feel generally the harder this is going to be. I'm doing a few things here in this round. One, free hints. So every question is worth two points and you get all the information. And two, free steel meals. So if they don't get it right, get ready to steal meal. No penalty for it either. All right. Wow. All right. Here we go. Everybody's got three questions in this first round, 60s, 70s, and 80s, starting with Buncey. The Gremlin from 1963, a remarkably goofy-looking monster. This creature, who looks like a guy in a bad gorilla costume (laughs) and some guy liner, seems more curious than intentionally destructive, but the direction of Richard Donner made him threatening. Your hint, William Shatner. Gremlin? Uh, looks like a guy uh, in a bad gorilla costume and some guy liner. He oh. seems more curious and intentionally <laughs> uh, destructive. The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. Yes. The famous plane. Yeah. Oh, the wing. Bunsy, I mean. <laughs> All right. This is Tara's first question. Yep. The Zanti. The Zanti. Z A N T I. Nineteen sixty three. Also, giant ant like humanoid aliens who place their convicts on Earth. Their culture won't allow them to carry out executions, so they send them here, knowing that humanity will definitely wind up killing them. It's about halfway to a good Twilight Zone episode, which is right on par for this show. Your okay. hint, Bruce Dern. The honeymooners, just kidding. That's not my real answer. Um, <laughs> is this the Outer Limits? It is the Outer Limits. Halfway to a good Twilight nice. Zone episode yep. is the perfect description of all of Outer Limits. Yeah. All right. Baker's first question coming up. Mugatu, a white gorilla with a horn on his head and a poisonous bite existing on a very thin Vietnam metaphor planet. Your hint, letter Nimoy. What's that show? I mean, Star Trek. Yeah, that's a good hint for that nice. one. All right. That was a real good hint. <laughs> oh, it's Everybody's got their two points. Back to Sarah Bunting. Tybo, T-Y-B-O, not Tybo, like the exercise guy. Oh, I remember that guy. Tybo the Carrot Man. <laughs> Let's pause for a moment. Tybo the Carrot Man. 1968. An alien represented by a guy in a carrot suit turned the entire crew of the Jupiter 2 into vegetable people in retaliation after Dr. Smith picked some flowers on his planet. Int Bill Mummy. 
Moomy, I think. Moomy, yes, you're right. Sorry. <sighs> and I think it's Billy. Well, it says Bill here. You know, he's Bill now. But I'm Back sure that's then, true. he was probably Billy. But now he's probably uh, Bill. You uh, want me to read that again for you? Yeah. yeah All right. Yeah, we're talking about Tybo the Carrot Man. <laughs> As and this is, this, is, this is a monster from 1968. <laughs> An alien represented by a guy in a carrot suit. All right. <laughs> Turned the entire crew of the Jupiter 2 into vegetable people in retaliation after Dr. Smith picked some flowers on his planet. Lots of hints there. So many hints. Uh, lost in space? Yeah. So space! <laughs> space carrots. All right. Okay. Two points there. Tara. Yeah. The ghost werewolf from 1970. Of course. The green ghost of reported werewolf Silas Long. He shows up, scares people, and occasionally chases them down hallways. Turned out to be a sheep rustler in a mask. Your hint. <laughs> Casey Kasem. <laughs> Scooby-Doo, where are you? All right, everybody's doing well. Sarah oh, Baker, geez. The Altrusians. The Altrusians, 1974. Uh, a benevolent race of highly evolved telepathic lizard people. The costumes didn't have moving mouths, so the telepathy was helpful. That created the mystical land our heroes are now trapped in. Your hint, Kathy Coleman. Kathy with a K. Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost. Well done. All right. Back to Bunsey. Here's your last question of this round. The Spanish Moss Man. <laughs> 1974. A research experiment in dream deprivation produces a Cajun boogeyman covered in Spanish moss who goes on a murder spree until a reporter specializing in the supernatural figures out what's going on. Your hint, Darren McGavin. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you another hint here. This is the tough. I think this is the toughest one of this whole thing. Uh, inspiration for the X-Files, this series was. Does not help, Doesn't help I'm afraid. No. Dark Shadows? Steel Mill. Steel Mill, Tara. Kolchak the Night Stalker. Kolchak the Night Stalker, correct. All right, so... Tara just picked up one point with that first free steel meal of this round. And here's Tara's real question. Your monster from 1976, Sasquatch. Sure, he looks like a Bigfoot, but he's actually controlled by aliens. You should get this. It's been on the show. And mm -hmm. uh, being used to steal precious metals and gems from Earth until he's stopped by a cyborg multiple times. Your hint, if you need it, Lee Majors. The six million dollar man. The six million dollar man is correct. All right. Thank God for the hint because I was very close to saying the Incredible Hulk. Oh. <clears throat> All right, Sarah Baker, with our last question of this round, your monster is the arm from <laughs> night jumping a bit, nineteen eighty nine. Ooh. Yes, a being existing on a psychic plane that claims to have grown out of the severed arm of a human host. 25 years later, it had evolved into a tree with a brain on it. Weird and unnerving, but that's kind of the point. Your hint, fuck? Kyle McLaughlin. McLaughlin? McLaughlin? McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Not yeah. McLaughlin. Every time. Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks. The Kyle McLaughlin group is my favorite show. All right. <laughs> Score break, please. 
very, very close game. We have, uh, I have seven points. Sarah Baker has six points. Sarah D. Bunting has four points. All right. Well done. We're now into round two. We're talking about the <laughs> 90s monsters and the aughts monsters. And now you have to ask for the hint. All right. So two okay. points if you can get it without a hint. You can guess. You get an incorrect guess or you just, you know, you don't know it. Ask for the hint after which the correct answer is worth one point. All right. Got it. Got it. Starting with Buncey, your monster, Goldar. Goldar, 1993. And giant ape with fangs and a blue face wearing gold armor and a bizarre headdress. He's often big enough to wreck whole cities. And when he's not, he sometimes drives a giant robot. Either way, he's a chief antagonist in several seasons of the show he's on. Oh, and he has wings too, because why not? <laughs> Benson. I'll take that as a you need the hint. Yes. Your hint, do. Ricardo Medina Jr., who you might remember from that time he stabbed his roommate with a samurai sword. Ah. <sighs> uh. Small wonder? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been so much better of a show if it was it Small really Wonder. It really would have. <laughs> that is Power Rangers. Power Rangers. Oh. Uh, All right. Tara, your monster yes. from 1994. Floor? floor? <laughs> 1994. <Yep. laughs> is the Newark Flukeman. The human sized flatworm created in a stew of irradiated sewage from Chernobyl. It attacks victims through the sewer system in Newark, leading to an FBI investigation. I believe this is the X-Files. Of course it is. X-Files for two points. Okay. The Bacchae, 1996. Innocent girls from ancient Greece are transformed by a demonic version of Dionysus into lesbian vampires. And no, the show in question was never known for subtlety. 1996. Ancient Greece. Lesbian vampires. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? That's incorrect. Here's your hint. Damn it. Okay. Your actor in question is Lucy Lawless. Oh, Xena Warrior Princess? That is good for one point. Well done. Nice. Oh, thank God. Back to Buncey. The monster brain guy. The year, <laughs> 1997. A being from a planet of powerful psychics who claims to have no physical body despite the fact that we can see him. He also claims to have immense psychic abilities, but mostly seems to use them to teleport bad movies to a satellite. Brain guy. MST3K? Yes. Nice. Well done. Two points. Wow. Tara Ariano. Yes. The Wormulon Queen, 1999. A giant <laughs> slug that anally secretes a highly addictive substance used in soft drinks in the future. <laughs> Futurama. Futurama. Damn it. Yeah. But I think this is a good one for you, Sarah. Um, the Gentleman. The Gentleman, 1999. A group of floating ghouls who take away the voice of their victims so they can torture them to death without anyone being alerted. They apparently still they are apparently still vulnerable to wooden stakes, though. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah! Yay. That's the way you Second do it. times the charm, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bunty. The Man in Black... 2004. He was once a normal man with dark hair and steely eyes, but an encounter with the heart of the island brought by his brother Jacob changed him 
into a violent cloud of black smoke. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going somewhere else with that. But that's the man in brown. This is from Lost. <laughs> that's good for two points. Tara. Yes. Weeping Angels 2007, a race of aliens who disguise themselves as funerary statues of angels and only move when you're not looking. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Sarah Baker. The Menad. The Menad 2008. Normally a human woman in appearance, the Menad can transform into a clawed bull-like creature who can manipulate humans. In one appearance, she forced an entire town into an impromptu striptease. In another, she turned a whole town into pigs. I believe it's Minad, M-A-E-N-A-D. Well, I looked right? it up. This is apparently pronounced Minad, but... Like... Okay, sorry. Uh, if, if we don't get the pronunciation right, there's no way. <laughs> this is the asterisk. <laughs> I'll never guess it. What's a clue, please? Anna Paquin. <laughs> oh, I was going to guess that. True Blood? Oh, you should guess it. There's no penalty for guessing. Yeah, guess. I guess I don't. I don't watch that show, so I don't know what happens uh, on it. Believe in yourself. It is Thank true you. blood. That's my lesson. Good for one point. <laughs> I I lost a point, but I learned a lesson, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody's last Ots monster coming at you. Okay. The Rugaru, the Rugaru, nine. No, sorry, two thousand eight. While they look human for thirty years, Rugaru develop an overwhelming desire for human flesh and once they partake they are transformed into savage pale-skinned monsters well this one's benson obviously <laughs> hint uh your hint is jared palalecki adalecki Padalecki. <laughs> uh so many supernatural references lately supernatural that's good for a point Tara? Yes. Your monster, Doomsday 2009, an alien monster with gray skin, red eyes, and bony protrusions all over his body. He is disguised as a normal human most of the time, his monstrous side only coming out when he's angry or exposed to certain alien rocks. 2009? Yes. Oh, so it's not Smallville. Is this The Flash? Your hint, okay. Tom Welling. It is Smallville. It is. First monster that appearance. That was on not... for a long time. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Good for one All point. Right. Okay. All right. Our <laughs> last question of this round. Doppelgangers 2009. When the first supernatural beings became immortal, they violated the law that all creatures must die. So the doppelgangers, who look exactly like them, came to existence to die in their place. Kind of like Kenny from early South Park. Um, hint, please. Uh, Nina Dob Dobrev, 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 Dobrev. The Vampire Diaries. Correct. Also, would have accepted Ugh. the originals, and that is our second round. Okay, still very close. Uh, Sarah Bunting has nine. Sarah Baker has eleven. I have fourteen. All right. Here we go. Round three. We're talking about the teens now. Two points. One point after the hint. Starting with Buncey. Marceline the Vampire Queen 2010. <laughs> All right. 
a fun-loving 1,000-year-old vampire queen. She does not need to drink blood to survive. Rather, she eats the color red. Marceline is also an avid music- musician who plays an electric bass that she made from her family's heirloom battle axe. Sounds annoying, actually. I assume yeah. shows aren't in here more than once, by the uh, way. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, Because I would have guessed the original, so I need a hint. Uh, Cloris Leachman. Fun-loving thousand-year-old <laughs> vampire queen. Oh right, shit! I don't know. I don't know this one. Someone should steal me this. Anybody? No. This is Adventure Time. Adventure. Time. Uh, Tara. Yes. The Infatata, 2011. Okay. The undead Franken baby creation of Doctor Charles Montgomery, who tried to bring his baby back to life and accidentally reanimated a monster haunts the basement of a haunted house. Whom, whomst Among Us, um, American Horror Story. Correct. Sarah J. Baker, U, Jean. <laughs> nope. All right, that's the letter U, and then another name, Jean, G-E-N-E, 2011. Pharmaceutical experiments render a man invisible as he automatically camouflages himself so he can blend in perfectly with whatever background he stands against. In an effort to be seen, the man kills innocent victims and drains them of their pigment, leaving them ghostly white. What's that show? Mm, that sounds cool. Um, hint me. Joshua Jackson is your hint. And I'm going to give you another hint. Is. It's not Dawson's oh. Creek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stupid. Not that stupid. Um, I know he's on a show. Yep. Um, a show called The Leftovers. Steel Meal. Yep. Fringe. Fringe for one point. Uh, right. I was like, The Affair? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I should have started watching that shit. All right, Buncey. Uh, the yeah. Death's Head Manticore. The Death's Head Manticore 2013. Manticores are highly aggressive and extremely venomous scorpion-like insects from the continent of Isos, which can grow as large as lobsters. Wow. And have markings on their tail that look like a human face. Ooh. Black Mirror? Mm. I love that guess. Amelia Clark is your hint. Amelia Clark. Is that her name? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Game of Thrones? Yeah. Highly aggressive scorpion creatures with human faces on their tails. Game of Thrones. Okay. Calm calm down, Game of Thrones. The Nogisuni, 2014. Nogisuni, an evil spot fox spirit, which can take over a person, corpse, or even a werewolf, causing chaos and feeding off negative emotions. The even a werewolf part makes me think this is Teen Wolf. It is. Yeah. All right, Sarah Baker. Oh, boy. I forgot this one was in here. All right, it's German. <laughs> uh, fuck me. All right. <laughs> Good, Vegan Circus. <laughs> Gnecus Esser. And I got to spell that for you. G-E-D-A-C-H-T-N-I-S. Gnecus Esser. 
Generally looking like a normal human, this creature can turn into an octopus face humanoid that uses tentacles to burrow into a victim's brain and extract memories. Like most of the creatures in this series, the name is German No Shit. <laughs> Benson. <laughs> mm. All right. Your hint, if it's going to help you at all, is David Gentoli. Gentoli? Oh. Gentoli. Yeah. All right, fine. Oh, wait. Okay, I was just listening to that, this really good podcast called the Extra Hot Great Podcast, and they were talking about stupid road rules guy. Yeah. And he was on another show, but it wasn't Road Rules, but that's what's stuck in my head because I also watch Road Rules. <laughs> like most of the creatures in oh, the series, the name zoo? is German. Oh uh, <laughs> no! Steel meal. Steel meal. Grim. Grim for one point. Oh. Grim for one point. And thank God the German show is over with. That made me sad. Buncey. Yeah. Grod. 2015. A giant, super strong, telepathic silverback gorilla. Yep. He was temporarily relocated to Gorilla City on Earth Two. With the other intelligent gorillas, but has returned to Earth One multiple times. Zoo? <laughs> <laughs> Zoo is a much better show in your guys' imagination than yeah. it actually was. They're just yeah. animals, they're not monsters. <laughs> Hint Grant Gustin. The Flash? Yep. <laughs> what the fuck? The Flash? Uh, Rod, the telepathic giant silverback gorilla. We hardly knew I think he might be Clancy Brown. Yes. <laughs> 2016, uh, the Demogorgon, an other dimensional creature named after a monster from Dungeons and Dragons with a face like a tooth flower opening and enormous strength. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Sure. Sarah Baker, the Kadarian Demon, 2016, an ancient demonic Sumerian spirit bonded to the evil book known as the Necronomicon portion of his essence can possess individuals, animals, or even in one memorable case, the severed hand of a main character. It is immortal, enormously powerful, but also seemingly vulnerable to a guy with a chainsaw. Evil Dead? That's close enough. Alright, I'll give you that. That's what Ash versus called? the Evil Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's close enough. I only know the movie. We're, 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 yeah, we're, we're good here. That was Bruce Campbell, of course. Buncey? Connie the Hormone Monstrous, 2017, another dimensional creature who follows an adolescent girl around and encourages her to embrace her wildest desires. Oh, we just talked about this. Yay, us. Um, I, now I can't remember the name of the show. What's what? my problem? <laughs> yes, you can. Oh, my God. I could, like, draw the people from... Uh... Uh... uh Big mouth. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> now you've earned yourself a bubble bath. <laughs> yeah, I did. Tara, That's 2017, so Bilquis, an ancient mm -hmm. fertility goddess who survives in the modern day by consuming men after having her way with them, although not in the way you might expect. <laughs> American gods. American gods. Correct. All right, Sarah Baker, the Shadow King, 2017. A psychic parasite that moves in between the minds of various individuals, leading to symptoms of mental illness in his hosts. He prefers colonizing those with mental powers, sometimes appearing as a pallid, obese man. 
Legion. Legion. Nice. Nice. Everybody's last question coming at you, so let's get a quick (laughs) score break, please, Tara. Okay. Um, Let's see. Sarah D. Bunting has 14 points. Sarah L. Baker has 15 points. I have... Oh, okay. All right. Sarah Bunting, otherwise known as Buncey, the Griffin, 2018, a giant winged humanoid with feline legs who lives in a cliffside nest along the edge of the world. The characters assume she's male, but she corrects them and lets them know that gender is a spectrum. And I gave you another hint. We've watched this show, but I don't think anybody, any of us made it to this. (laughs) No, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> happy endings just kidding i need a hint uh abby jacobson <laughs> abby jacobson Broad city that Steel is mail. oh i think you're either out or you should probably shouldn't be using them at this point yeah i wouldn't okay if you right. just want to show off, please go ahead. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Okay, I won't count my I won't point myself, but it's disenchantment. It's disenchantment. Yes, correct. Tara oh, Ariano. Yeah, thing. 2018, the Toonbok. T U U N B A Q. A massive creature resembling a polar bear with eyes that look almost human that rip apart British sailors stranded in the Arctic. Will Dave like it? Yeah, kind of. Uh, oh what was this called the terror the terror correct all right last monster of the game for sarah baker your monster's name is unnamed giant gold flying robot monkey that poops missiles 2018 (laughs) created by the toy maker the fleet of giant gold monkeys that invades national city includes one extra giant one who poops missiles at our heroine Heroin is a good hint. Sure. Supergirl? Supergirl. Two points. Great way to end it. Let's get the final scores. Okay. Well, I realized that I was taking steel meals into past the free steel meal round. So I subtracted five points from my score because I don't know how many it was. But um, (laughs) here we are. Sarah D. Benting has 14 points. Sarah Baker has 17 points. And let's say I have 20. Okay, so Tara takes it, but we're going to reuse our tiebreaker for some steel mill opportunities. Okay. All right, so here's your chance because to refill. Because of my accidental sh- cheating, I will sit out this round. All right, that's fair. I, I, I'm going to allow that. So this is how it's going to work. <laughs> I have one, two, three, five, six monsters that are all from the same show. First person to identify the show wins steel meals. And I'm going to take, I'm going to start at six. Gonna read the first one, blah 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 blah, all the way down. All right, gotcha. Okay. Sooner the answer, the more steel meals you will get. Are you ready, Wait, is this Sarah? A yell it out situation. Yell it out yes. whenever you yes. want. Okay. And yell out as much as you want. Here we go. Finn the Gollum. A hot. Whoops. <laughs> Finn the Gollum, <laughs> a hot guy created by a wizard to lure women into his lair, the Hollow, a cloud that can possess people, including hot guys, making them do things that are out of character. Finn the Gollum. Number two, Darklighters, demonic spirits mostly betrayed by hot guys who try and corrupt magic users and the angelic... Charmed. Charmed is correct. That gives you five steel meals. 
Five steel Damn, Sari, well you got ten. Done. The coffer is full. Only I ever do anything. <laughs> Tara. Tara. Well played, Tara. Thanks. Good job. Other than the accidental cheating. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. We OD'd on the Connors before going around the dial where we did some camping before splitting up together. We met the cool kids. We were told to get a room with Carson and Tom. And we finally joined the German episodes of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Dylan fucked it up. It being the induction of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars episode <laughs> Revenge of the Queen into the canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week. And Tara was the winner of this week's Game Time putting her within reach of the season win next week. Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano. Reese. Sarah D. Bunting. Do you ever read anything anyone wants to hear? And Sarah <laughs> Baker. I'm a racist homophobe. Guess I'm Trump. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here. An extra Akbri. Stop. What? I don't know. I didn't expect the stop to work. So. <laughs> Get this. This has been a production of the Previously.tv Podcast Network.